Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different people come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This season, we are talking about the book of Philippians and what it looks like to live a joy-filled life in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining my co-host Aaron and me in conversation today are Pastor Ken McCurd and one of our regular and well-loved Bible study teachers, Leslie Bogdanow. So Leslie just gave me this sweet little smile like, I love you too, and I do love you, and I'm grateful. Leslie's been teaching with us for a long time, and she's one of my favorite people to sit down and talk about the Bible with. So I'm glad you're here today, my friend. We are going to do our first things first question together, and you're going to answer the question, give a little bio on yourselves. Both of you have been on the podcast before, so people are familiar with you, but they may not remember some of the details of your life. So just give them a little bio and answer the question. And the first things first question is, what is the first thing you think of doing when someone says, go and enjoy yourself? Leslie, kick us off. Yes. Okay. I'm Leslie Bogdanow. I'm married to Josh. I have, we have three children, Lexi Brewer and Carter. And what else? I work at Augusta Pediatric Associates. I sit at the front desk when people come in. I get to welcome them. And that is fun. And... I am also a new City View Seminary student. Yes. So I'm excited about that. Yes. So that's me, a little bit about me. And um, when someone says go and enjoy yourself, the first thing that came to mind when I thought about this was a puzzle. I, I love puzzles. So usually about a thousand pieces. I like to keep one going when I have some free time, like over Christmas break or in the summertime. But um, I love a puzzle. Nerd alert. That is so (laughs) fun. What image? I love a colorful puzzle. I have lots of different ones. I just did one um, that was just like a city cartoon kind of city with buildings and people walking around and yeah I love so a puzzle fun I love it <laughs> do you I've got to ask you because I grew up doing puzzles with my dad did you do you have a method to your madness yes I I definitely like to get the edges first mm-hmm. but yeah. I can keep going if I haven't found all the edges but um I don't like a puzzle that's one of when you get to the part where it's like you have to try every piece that's not enjoyable but I like a puzzle with clear images and uh-huh. colors, you know, uh-huh. so it's not, so I like it to be a little hard, but not too hard. <laughs> not like totally trying yeah. to trick and deceive you. Right. Not yeah. like all the same colors that you're like, it's hard. Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. All right. What about you, Ken? I'm Ken McCurd. I'm a pastor here. I'm married to Lisa. I have two children, uh, Karis and TJ. I think the last time I was here, I didn't have a daughter-in-law. Now I have a daughter-in-law, and her name is Nicole. Uh, She's from uh, South Africa, and this is a very new experience for her uh, living in the States. I guess I gave a little bit about my history the last time. I guess I'll tell you that my middle name is Anthony, and I grew up, um, everyone called me Anthony. When I came to New York and switched over to Ken, it was so difficult for my family to talk to me by referring to me as Ken because they're used to Anthony. Why did you make the switch? I wanted to be an adult. I I didn't want to be a child. I came to New York when I was 18, and so I thought I was grown up and Mm -hmm. knew everything. And you needed the name to match. Yes. So one of the neat things that happened um, recently, my brother, my twin brother is a preacher as well. 
And the last sermon I preached, he preached from the same text in his church on the same day. Wow. Which is really, really cool. Did y'all know that beforehand? Yes. He, oh, wow. he told me that. That's and cool. I told him my sermon was going to be longer and uh, more scholarly than his. <laughs> and he, he, his sermon was shorter because his church likes a 15-minute sermon, <laughs> but it was scholarly as well, but I won't, so give him, I won't give him that credit. <laughs> <laughs> I love it's it. It's hard to pack scholarly in 15 minutes. That's I what know. I said. Yeah. 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 All right, well, what do you do when someone says, go enjoy yourself? Oh, so um, when someone says, go enjoy yourself, the first thing that I think of is going into my garage and um, working out. I have a home gym. We call it, um, I don't mean to be political, we call it the Biden gym, all the um, money that we got under Biden's administration. <laughs> I bought a home gym, and so I, I love working out in Biden's gym. That is funny. <laughs> I love That's it. Amazing. If I had, this feels very hypothetical, but if this were to happen, Brad, I hope you're tuning in. <laughs> Do we have 24 hours or like a week or well, choose your own adventure? Choose your own adventure. <laughs> what you feel like you're in need of, girl? 24 hours feels more realistic, so I'll, I'll stick with that. Okay, so I would go on a walk outside by myself, maybe on the river, and maybe listen to something, maybe not. And then I'm going to go find a little cozy coffee shop and I'm going to read for a few hours. And then I'm going to meet up with a friend for lunch, my favorite meal. And then do I, I, love I, get, it. Do I get to keep going? Sure. <laughs> Maybe I'll keep wander on. around the craft store and look at all the pretty crafts that I don't have time to make. <laughs> and then I'm going to go home and relax with my family. You've put some thought into that. Yeah. Do you have a favorite coffee shop? Oh, no. I like to mix it up. Yeah. It depends on what mood I'm in. So I changed my answer. I get rid of my puzzle. I'm going with Aaron. <laughs> Do you want to meet up for lunch yes. and a walk? Yes. You can't go on the alone walk. You can go okay, in the craft okay. store and you can go to okay. lunch. Okay. You know, or we could do a double walk after lunch. Love it. All right. What would I do if someone said, go and enjoy yourself? And I'm laughing at you, Aaron, because you said it seems so hypothetical because you have uh, small people right now and lots of them with lots of things that they want to do to go oh, yeah. enjoy themselves. So mamas don't often hear that in their homes. Go enjoy yourself. But my people do sometimes say that. And I'll tell you, my little enjoyment recently has been at night. And I sometimes there's some days that I think there's just nothing I feel excited about except for, the, <laughs> for this. And it's getting in my bed with my electric blanket on and my cup of tea and my book and my piece of chocolate. Like there's 30 minutes in which I'm in charge of nothing. I'm not thinking about anything deep or important or managing anything. I'm just sitting in my bed, warm and cozy, reading a book. And last night, my youngest got in the bed too, and he was doing a report on screw tape letters, or he is doing a report on screw tape. He's like, Mom, you want to read it with me? And normally I'd be like, yes. But I was like, nope, buddy, it's my time. It's, it's my 30 minutes to enjoy myself. <laughs> I'm in it. That's and, amazing. Um, it is not true that that's the only time in life I enjoy myself but that is one of the times so a piece of chocolate that's foreign to me <laughs> i usually Singular. eat pieces so many, yeah. so many questions is it really one piece of chocolate it's a candy yeah, bar inside I, yeah <laughs> it's like a, a brick of candy bar or three hershey kisses or i don't know it feels uh, like an indulgence i'm with you ken i'm yeah. going for like pieces yes yeah <laughs> 
Plural only, please. Don't waste the time. I mean, <laughs> yeah. We don't want to have to get up again to yeah, go right. get another that's piece. Right, yeah. uh, that's, there is, that is a good point, Aaron. All right, all right, all right. Well, we're going to move into something that I know that we all enjoy. If someone were to say, if we'd thought about this, go enjoy yourselves. And they were to say, why don't y'all go sit together and talk about God's word and what you see there and how that impacts yes. your life and the beauty there. We would be like, yes, yes. raise our hands. We yeah. all share that love, yeah. which is super fun. So I'm glad that we get to do that today. And we are in the second episode of our spring season on Philippians. And on the last episode, Jay Miller and his wife, Amy, joined us to talk about some of the themes that we can expect to see in Philippians and how we will see the gospel in Philippians as well. So we've covered that. But in this episode, we're still sort of in introductions. And what we want to talk about is the historical context that is very helpful to know as you go into Philippians, because it places the book as a concrete historical correspondence between the Apostle Paul and a group of people that he very much loved in a real time time and a real place to real people right. yep. interacting with a real God. Yes. And so we love to bring the realness of what was there and think about it, ponder it so that we can recognize that those same truths apply to us today yeah. as well. Yeah, that's so right. that's what we're going to do. And we're going to start by talking about the Apostle Paul's life and ministry. And we are moving around in lots of chunks of Acts. That's where you can find a lot of this historical background. It includes Paul's past, his conversion story, his missionary journeys that include his visit to Philippi, and lots of other things that give some great context to what he puts in his letters and why he writes the way that he does. We are not going to read all of those passages, but we're going to describe what happens in them, Aaron and I. Are, and then Leslie and Ken are going to talk about what stood out to them in those passages and why they think that's important as we begin to study Philippians. So, Aaron, you're kicking us off with Paul's past. Okay. So, and I don't know if this is appropriate, but I'm going to go ahead and throw it in there. You know, later on in Philippians, Paul's saying, hey, you've got all these Judaizers that are around you, and they're saying the way to do things are by following all these special food laws, by abiding by the circumcision laws. And he's like, I used to be that guy to yes. the max. Right. And that's what we're seeing in this passage that you're pulling out yeah, in Acts. Right. Mm-hmm. This 758 through 83, where he's at Stephen Stoning. And he is there saying, I'm here because I love Yahweh. I am the primo Jew. I've done everything right. I'm from the right tribe. I've been to all the fancy Pharisee schools. I am the most important of all Jews. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing all of these things right. And I'm doing it for God. So he's got this very, what we would call self-righteous flavor going on. And later on, he's telling the Philippians in his letter, he's saying, these were things I valued because they were the way I knew how to love God. And now I count them as dung. So he's, I think that's a very important part of his past is that he, in his own way, was trying to follow the Lord, and it ended up with him persecuting the church. We see him at Stephen's stoning, and then the the beginning of Acts uh, chapter 3, we see that he began to destroy, like, quote, destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So he Mm. is on a mission to take down Christianity because nowhere, unless you had met Jesus, and if you were a Jewish first century Jew, unless you had encountered Jesus and the love of Christ had overcome you, you had no concept of the one God. You're very monotheistic. And so to have one God and understand him coming as man, like that first century Jew without encountering Jesus would have no shelf to put that on. 
And so Paul didn't have a shelf for that. So he's seeing somebody as Jesus as like the ultimate blasphemer. And he's out to destroy the Christian church. What Aaron's described here very much captures Paul's past. Mm -hmm. He was zealous. He was religious. He believed he was doing what his God would want him to mm -hmm. do. What about his past resonated with y'all or even came out to you as important to understand as we begin to study the book of Philippians? So as I thought about that text, I, I thought about Paul, well, Saul at this point, being zealous for God as he understood him. He, he had this concept of um, the Lord is one. And Jesus claiming to be God was blasphemous. And here's this Stephen um, who, would, uh, who was standing in that. And so he was going to, in his enthusiasm, stand for what is right. And then I thought, how many times have I been excited and enthused and completely wrong? And then how many times have I actually opposed the work of God in my enthusiasm? And so that, that's a humbling thought for me as I, as I look at this. Um, one of the things that I don't do often is listen to my old sermons. I've done it a couple of times in some of my old sermons. I've seen this where I was dogmatic and enthusiastic and wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I can't take that back. Mm -hmm. You know, the people who listen to me and that breaks my heart. I can't take that back. And so I don't want to do that again. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's what I think of when I think of this section. But even in that, we see that God is mercifully moving towards Paul. Like he, Stephen's telling the story that Paul knew all so well. So mm -hmm. he's going through the Old Testament narrative, and Paul's probably sitting there like gritting his teeth, like I could yes. punch this guy in the head. Yes. Like he is nuts. <laughs> and to hear him telling his story, the one that he knew, the one that he wanted to defend, but it has a different ending than he expected. Mm -hmm. But then we see Jesus meet him and deliver him. So I yes. think I hear what you're saying. I think we all have those moments we look back on and cringe, but I think there's also like the Lord is pursuing us and delivering us knowing that we are but flesh and he is the one who's making all things right. So, And that's one of the reasons I continue to do this. There you go. Mm -hmm. Because there, there is hope. There's not that crippling fear, right? but it, it is a caution. Right. That I'm accurate and I'm biblical and I'm Christ focused rather mm -hmm. than works focused. That's that's on my mind. But that God believes in me, He loves me, He empowers me. It's encouraging. I love mm -hmm. that. That's yeah. beautiful, Ken. Yeah. Thank you. Well, and I think one of the indicators of that, when you're saying that, that his dogmatism led to harming other people, like in his self-righteousness, he was willing to destroy yes. and he's completely yeah. opposite. When he gets to Philippians, it's not that he's unsure of things. It's not that he's saying, I'm not right. really sure if God means yeah, yeah. this or if Jesus is really God. And yeah. if you want to believe that, cool. If you don't, that's cool. But he's just as, he's just as zealous for what mm -hmm. he has now seen to be totally true, yeah. but the effect of that is love and humility and service life, and building up. life. Yeah. 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 So it's a good Beautiful. indicator to me that I may be off if I'm, if I'm willing to tear down in my mind or wow, actually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's such a good reminder too, that there's no moderate response to Jesus. We can't just like him. We're either adamantly opposed to who he is or either we're like, Jesus has saved my life and I will go yeah. to any length to spread that message with any person that will give me ear. 
I agree. I, I thought Saul's zeal really stood out to me. And the words ravaging the church, dragging yeah. off men and women. I mean, he's dead set on getting rid of the sect. And I think it's so cool to think, and you've kind of said this too, that his zeal will be totally changed and redirected. He's going to be zealous for this Christ that yes. he is trying to stomp out. Um, it's just incredible. So that's really what stood out to me. And uh, I also love the part where we see the the first martyr when Stephen is is being stoned. He looks up into heaven and he sees Jesus. Oh, I love that picture. Standing. Yes. He's standing. Why is he yeah. standing, yeah. Pastor Ken? He he's always sitting at God's yeah. right hand. But he's standing. So I don't know if this is a theological answer, but this is a personal answer. It's in my mind, God is standing up and welcoming him and saying, I'm your cheerleader. Come home. I love that. That's been moving me since we uh, looked at Acts in our New Testament survey class recently. I've just been pondering, like, standing. Jesus is standing. Isn't that great? We're going to move now into what was called Saul's conversion. And here you have zealous Saul. And we've been referring to him as Paul, if you're confused. It's not because we've been mispronouncing our S's and our P's. He is referred to by both names in the Bible. But in the passage in Acts that you might be reading, it talks about Saul leaving Stephen's stoning. And he's going out to continue that persecution. And he is on the way to a city of Damascus to do the same thing, to search out those Jesus followers, bring them back to Jerusalem to put them on trial and to condemn them. And it's in route to be zealous for who he thinks God is, who he thinks he understands Mm -hmm. God to be, who he thinks he sees God to be, that Mm -hmm. Jesus appears to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so there is that connection. Why are you persecuting me? Mm -hmm. Because he is tied to his people. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to let you all talk about what you love about this, but essentially there is this conversion experience that's dramatic. He sees Jesus and then he can no longer see anything else. He's blinded and he He is led into a city where he remains blind for three days. He's fasting. He's praying. The Lord also appears to one of his people named Ananias and says, go to Saul. He is fasting. He's praying. I want you to pray over him. And in that forgiveness, essentially shown through Ananias, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in Paul. So what about that experience stuck out to y'all? And did you find is helpful as we think about Paul later writing to the Philippians? So I cannot read this passage without thinking of when my kids were little, we were reading this story from their Jesus Storybook Bible. And I said, and then the voice said, what did the voice say? And one of my children said, Saul, Saul, why are you cuciperting me? <laughs> and so now that's what it is. You know, it just be- became a funny thing at our house. Why are you cuciperting me? So um, I love this. It's, this is an amazing conversion story, and it struck me just this time when I was reading it, it struck me how scary it would have been for Ananias to and the disciples to now accept this enemy who's now supposedly my ally. I think I would have been skeptical and reluctant to obey. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe Saul is just pretending to be converted, I might think, you know, uh, maybe he's going to be a spy and get close to us and destroy us from the inside. You know, I just thought it would was scary for Ananias to um, to go with him to to 
to follow the Lord's command, he could have thought it was some sort of ruse, Mm. you know? Um, And then to think of this enemy becoming an ally, uh, it's, it's just... It just struck me that it would be hard to believe. And then as it relates to Philippians, I thought the Lord tells Ananias that Saul is his chosen instrument and that he will suffer for his name. Saul will carry the name to Philippi. And then years later in prison, he'll be suffering when he writes this letter of Philippians. And he'll write it with such joy in the midst of that suffering. But God tells Ananias, he'll be my chosen instrument instrument, Saul's my chosen instrument, and that he will suffer for my name. And that uh, is where we find him when he's writing Philippians. Hmm. So um, when when I think about Saul's conversion, I, I agree with you. I think about those things. And I often thought if I were Ananias, I, I, I would be tempted to say, no, Lord, please send somebody else. I don't trust this guy. You know, so I agree with you there. I'm thinking of a verse in Zechariah where God said, He who touches Israel touches the apple of my eye. Saul spent time ravishing the church. He touched the apple of God's eye. So I found it astounding. I find it astounding that God would reach out to Saul and give him life um, to open his eyes but blind him. And that's so fascinating to me. Saul was blind, spiritually blind anyway. Um, But when he saw the um, vision of Christ, the beauty, the light of Christ, he was physically blinded. And it was through that blinding that he was able to see God as he really is. And I thought, what a beautiful, um, wonderful picture of God's amazing love and care, even for an enemy, which reminds me that I was an enemy before God came to me. I I like to think my background is not as bad as Saul's, but I was as bad, but God came to me. And the joy that produces, you see in this passage, even with Saul, because immediately it says, after he regained his sight, he began preaching the good yes. news of Jesus in the synagogues. Yes. And that was the yeah. automatic overflow. And I also wonder how much of Ananias's influence in Paul's life that brought about that uh, enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. So for example, I love sitting around a table with you Um, And listening to you, Leslie, and listening to you, Aaron and Amber, I love listening. And then I get so excited, I'm ready to preach a sermon, Yes, even though this Sunday I'm not preaching. I am just ready because uh, I'm encouraged in my faith. And I wonder how much of that was part of Paul's enthusiasm. Yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't thought about that. Well, from there, from Damascus, Paul goes several different places. He goes to Jerusalem to meet the apostles. Uh, He goes away for a period of time. He's brought back. He is um, commissioned to go on one missionary journey and then another. And a space of time takes place before he arrives at Philippi. He had a desire, he and his companions on this trip, to go into the province of Asia. And twice they tried to get in. And twice it says that the Holy Spirit 
spirit intervened and did not let them go in. And so they had frustrated plans. They weren't exactly (laughs) sure why. They ended up in a city they hadn't planned to go to. And while they were there, Paul has a vision in the night of a man from Macedonia, which is a province, and saying, hey, please come help us. And so immediately, the author of Acts, that's Luke, says, immediately, we made plans to go to Macedonia because we had concluded that God had called us Mm -hmm. there to preach the gospel. And I love that, that the spirit of God through a vision said, come help us like that keyword help, like that God has determined to bring help to his people. And the help that he brings is the good news of, of Jesus Christ. Yes. All right. So they come to the city of Philippi. When they come to the city, Paul and his companions, Paul's pattern when he would come to a city would be to go to the synagogue and to teach there the good news of Jesus. But in the city of Philippi, there was no synagogue, which would have meant that there was less than 10 Jewish men there. So here they have been prevented from going to all these places and called to Philippi and there's less than 10 Jewish men, you know, and maybe they were thinking, I'm sorry, why did we come here? (laughs) But they go to the river, hoping to meet some people gathered to the river to pray. They come across Lydia and her friends, which I love. We had our first women's Bible study today. And I said, you know, the Lord did all of that work, all of that call for help for this little band of women sitting by the river and just that value that he places on all people. We're not going to camp on Lydia's story a very long time today, but we're going to move on to the second encounter that we see in Acts, and that is between Paul and his companions and a slave girl. So, Aaron, tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so yes, we see the slave girl and her owners are using her. This What we see in the Acts narrative is that she has a spirit that can foretell the future. So, of course, her owners are like, yes, this is amazing. She foretells the future. We can. This is our cash flow right here. We can use her to make us tons of money. And she's following um, them around and she's announcing these men are the servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. So she's following yeah, these she's guys around. Right? Yeah. Yeah. She's fangirling Paul <laughs> and definitely like saying she's telling the truth. And the acts narrative here is just, I mean, can I say it's hilarious? It's kind of funny. And I love that Jay picked up on this. Like he yes. literally cast out the spirit because he's annoyed. The scripture said yes. he's annoyed that she's saying this, even though he's telling or she's saying what is true and what is good news. So Paul casts out the spirit. And I think the thing that's interesting that we see here is a couple things. When the owners of the slave girl discover this of course they're mad because now their income source is dried up so they haul them into the court and say hey these guys are against roman teaching so they're mad because they're against the roman custom and practices another thing i thought was interesting is that Paul could have, because this is a Roman territory, he could have invoked some Roman citizenship. But I think the thing that is interesting here, we see him later on say, hey, I've got Roman citizenship when the gospel's at stake. But when mm-hmm. his own suffering is at stake, he's just going to go into jail. So, Leslie, yeah. you're going to tell us a little <laughs> bit more about those jail scenes. Point. Well, Paul and Silas, yes, they've ruined these the slave girl owner's income. And so... Uh, yeah, they're they're angry at them, so they bring them before the magistrates. And it says that the scriptures say that they stripped them, they beat them with rods, and threw them in prison. Beat them with rods. Yeah. I mean, that's terrible. Yes. And throw them in prison. And so here Paul is suffering, as God told Ananias he would. Um, it also 
thinking about this, this was amazing to read again, yet in prison with their feet bound, their, their feet are in the stocks and they're, they've got bruises all over their bodies. They're probably bleeding, you know, picture it. Sore. (laughs) Yeah. So they've been beaten. They're, they're hurting. And what are they doing? (laughs) They're singing. They're singing. Uh, They're praising God. It reminded me, because we just studied the book of Habakkuk, about how God gives Habakkuk the news that the cruel Babylonian nation is coming. It's bad, bad news. And at the end of that little prophecy book, Habakkuk sings. He sings because he trusts his God. And I think that's why Paul and Silas sing. They sing because they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. And they sing because they know that the, though the Romans can beat them up and throw them in prison, they know that their father is in charge of all things and that the, they're serving the Lord Jesus. I, I just want to be more like that, singing mm-hmm. in the suffering. Mm-hmm. This jailer who was charged with keeping Paul and Silas in jail. He, he's a victim of this earthquake. Um, the doors are open. The chains are loose. He walks in, and he's afraid that they're gone. And, and I'm just thinking, if I were that jailer, what would I think? Of course these guys wouldn't be here. Of course. Who would stay in jail? And so beginning to kill himself because he was responsible. Um, I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think the penalty of losing your prisoners was death. And so um, he, he would obviously do what was coming to, him, coming to him anyway. Paul stops him and says, we're here. No. You know, I'm thinking, Paul, just keep your mouth quiet. <laughs> The jailer would kill himself, and you just get up and walk out. But no, we're here. Because Paul saw this. He saw this as an example or an opportunity to witness to this jailer. And what I find amazing is the jailer's question, what must I do to be saved? And he took him home. And he shared uh, a meal with Paul and Silas, and he opened his home and his family to these two guys who were formerly prisoners, but now fellow brothers, and his life was changed out of horrible situations. Um, So I I find that uh, amazing that God can work. Um, So I would think Paul... A missionary for God, singing and praising God. The earthquake comes, and I would see that as an answer to prayer. Mm -hmm. God release me. (laughs) Jailbreak. Um, Yes, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. I mean, how could you not? The doors open and the chains are loose. (laughs) You don't need an engraved invitation. I'm thinking, this is it. This is my deliverance. I don't understand why Paul took the time to engage the jailer, except that he was acting under the direction of the Spirit of God. And so that this unnamed jailer was as important as that slave girl, as Lydia, 
all different circumstances, but God reaching out to people in different circumstances to bring them to himself. And he's using this former Pharisee of the Pharisees to bring salvation to that household. And I'd have to look at this, but that may be one of the first times a household is underscored in, in Acts in this way that salvation is to a whole house because of this event. That's beautiful. I love, too, how when he's writing to the Philippians, I think he gives us a little peek into that. He's like, oh, they thought, you, you may look at this and say, I'm in prison. He's, he's saying, no, I'm actually, this is my pulpit. That yes. this, my, the, the word of Christ is going forward because of where I'm located. Yes, only by the Spirit of God are we able to see what looks in our worldly circumstance as horrible and have the eyes to see, no, this is right where God has me. Yes. This is meant for good, and I will proclaim his name even in the prison. Well, when you're saying that, just the fact that as, when Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, it's been several years, but most likely within that little church, that little congregation, is either the jailer himself or Lydia yes. or possibly the slave girl or people who have known them right. or have seen these things happen, and they would have had an understanding of how God's salvation works and the joy that there is in that. And yet even so, they were encountering particular persecutions at that time. They were Mm -hmm. experiencing pressure from outside the church, from the culture itself. They were experiencing pressure from the Judaizers that's saying, hey, your faith in Christ isn't enough, you need more. They're experiencing internal pressure. They're starting to be disunity, squabbles. Um, They have fear for Paul, they miss Paul. There's just, there's these things that they're experiencing now that are Potential for anxiety and for fear and for sadness. And so Paul is eager to remind them from prison, remember mm-hmm. your joy, mm-hmm. rejoice. So the big theme of the letter of Philippians is joy and rejoicing. And so I want us to talk about, y'all have touched on this a little bit, but as we get into Philippians, we're going to see this more, that the joy that undergirds all of Philippians flows out of the saving work of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. like you've just described. So my question for y'all, and now we're going to get to personal application, is what does it mean for you to have joy in the saving work of Jesus? And what do you do if and when you find it is lacking? And so, Leslie, what do you think? I think it's fun to be on this specific podcast talking about joy with Pastor Ken because he is full of joy. And I was thinking about, I'm a little bit like Pastor Ken, like I like to smile a lot. We're kind of like Buddy the Elf, you know, I like smiling, (laughs) smiling is my favorite, Um, you know, but there's something deeper in our smile, in our joy, something deeper. And I, I'll, I've said this before, but when I was in my treatment for my breast cancer, I learned that joy and sorrow commingle. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't think I knew that before. I think I, if you asked me, do they go together? I'd probably would have answered yes, because I would think that would be the right answer. But I experienced that in that season, uh, that grief and rejoicing can go together. And so that's when I really started to think about how joy is really deeper. I I don't mean for it to be just a flippant, happy attitude, because there are sad things in life. uh, But that joy didn't go away in the sadness. I still could see that there was joy there, even tears streaming down my face, there's joy because my joy isn't on these 
temporary things. It is on the fact that Jesus has saved me and that I will mm-hmm. have eternity with him. Mm-hmm. The king of the universe is my daddy. Yes, that's pretty yeah. impressive. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, that's the cause to have joy. Of course, when I find my joy is lacking, I'll really, I fill my house, my car, wherever I am, I fill it with music, uh, praise music hymns, good theologically correct music that helps me redirect and refocus. I think songs, I don't know what it is, but they have a way of getting deeper down in our soul. Mm. I don't know what mm-hmm. it is. Uh, I think more the Puritans called it portable theology. Oh, that's right, cool. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. It's always yeah. in your pocket. Like it's running through your mind all the time. Yeah. Yes. So that's why you choose the good theological ones, Leslie. I love it. But that really helps me refocus. When I find that my joy is lacking, I put on music, fill my house, my car with music. And um, I also journal through whatever it is that's trying to steal my joy. And I love the Psalms. I mean, the Psalms just give us words to say, I don't feel the joy right now, Lord, and I'm struggling and I need you. So mm-hmm. that's where I would turn up uh, music, journaling, and uh, the Psalms. When you say that, it reminds me of a passage that somebody sent to me recently because we were talking about worship in our lives and the health that it brings to our souls and what has been described by another author that Aaron shared with me recently is the melancholy of self-absorption. And I resonate with that, the melancholy, the sadness of self-absorption. And so my friend I was walking with said, well, well, how does that work in your life? Like what things cause you to worship? And I was thinking, you know, sometimes being in nature, um, sometimes listening to music, um, being in God's word. But she sent me a little passage that just described the fact that music, nature, art, they are so important in our understanding, well, really our, I should say, experience of who God is, not because necessarily they are special in and of themselves, that God somehow is there in uh, a more special way than he is in ordinary life, but because they have a real ability to take us out of ourselves, to cause us briefly to forget ourselves and to look at another. And yeah. and done well, for their, for their best purposes, they end up by putting our eyes on the Lord. And so when you said that, I thought, oh, yeah. You know what else? Lament, weirdly. Lamenting can bring us joy. Uh, it seems strange, but I've I've also seen that in life. Like when I pour out those sorrows to the Lord, there's some kind of healing that happens that helps refocus my heart and maybe restore my joy. Uh, lament is part of it. I don't know. So that's amazing that you said that because Leslie, when you were talking about singing. In Acts, it said that Paul and Silas were singing, and I think that they were singing psalms because that's the Jewish songbook. And the first songs that I would think of would be songs of lament. Here I am, you know. Um, Typically, when I read it, I think they're singing songs of joy. They could have been singing songs of lament that led them to joy because of Jesus. And so I I was right there with you. I said, boy, that's where I can find the deepest joy through deep sorrow. Yeah. Yeah. An amazing statement. Mm. Leslie, you're so kind in saying that I'm always joyful and cheerful. I have a grumpy and bitter side that is not always evident. It's mostly the warring 
in my heart and mind that I wore against that. So uh, I would I would absolutely go to an imprecatory psalm and call down fire upon these people. <laughs> and, and yet God in his mercy allows me to express myself in, generally in a different way. It's a, it's a complete deliverance. Yeah. <laughs> I love that about you. Your smile always is contagious. <laughs> That's good. So what brings me joy is belonging and security. The fact that I'm a son of God. I, I have your father. He's, <laughs> he's also the king of kings. I'm a son of God and I have belonging. I grew up seeking belonging, wanting to be adopted and never having that opportunity and wondering why I couldn't belong to a family, but I belong to God's family and he will never leave me. And I love that. And I get to um, talk as a child of God into the lives of other people. And I, I tell you, even to this day, I still can't believe that God allows me to do that. And that's where that joy comes from. And, and it's not because uh, God doesn't allow me to do that because I do it. He allows me to do that because he loves me and he wants me to do it. And it doesn't matter if I have a good lesson in seminary or a good sermon. It doesn't matter to God and his using me. Um, so I, I find great security in that. I love that. I appreciate how much y'all are fleshing that out, how our joy is intermingled with sorrow. So when we're thinking about our salvation, how in just a practical way, when we bump up against things that are very real in this world, so material goods, relationships, vocational goals, and spiritual experiences, how does the joy of our salvation inform those experiences and things? Material goods, I struggle with always wanting the newest electronic gadget and a, a better fountain pen. Oh, my goodness. A, oh, man, I can spend hours <laughs> um, looking at stuff like that, and I struggle with that. But the joy of my salvation teaches me to be content, and content isn't a bad thing. I used to think of contentment as compromise. I can't have it, so I might as well be happy. But contentment is a release from the, the prison of covetousness. Always wanting something else is, is a prison to me. Mm. Uh, it can bind me. It can make me not satisfied. It can make me grumpy. It can make me uh, envious of other people, um, compare myself to other people. It is a prison. And contentment frees me of mm -hmm. that. And I find that in my salvation. I think misdirected joy in my life always fades, you know, so that shiny new object that I just had to have is going to be old soon. Uh, my sweet husband just bought me a, a laptop for, for seminary. Hey, uh, and it's so shiny and pretty, but it, it won't be shiny and pretty for that long. It'll be old soon and I'll, I'll forget the joy of opening it on Christmas morning. You know, <laughs> joy that's misdirected just doesn't last. Relationships, people let you down. Even a job you love has parts that you don't enjoy or you have bad days. Uh, I just think when I remember that my joy is in a steadfast Savior who loves me, then I can be joyful even when I'm sad, even when I'm disappointed. So I, I was just thinking about misdirected, mm -hmm. trying to find satisfaction and joy in something that wasn't meant to satisfy. Right. right. Yeah. It just doesn't work. Yeah. 
or in something that you thought would bring satisfaction that may bring it for a little while, but then it breaks or yes. something mm-hmm. better is offered. Yeah. Right. The yeah. new the new Apple phone comes yes. out or whatever. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. I love that y'all are drawing that out and noting the difference between the gifts and we receive those with gratitude and yeah. say, Thanks Lord for taking care of your kids. Like we receive the gifts with gratefulness, but also know that it's the giver that gives us worship. You were talking about the Psalms earlier, both of you, and how it tells us that better is one day in your courts. Like we want to oh, be in his that. presence. We'd rather hold the door in his presence than be cast out from him. Yeah. So knowing that that's where our joy is, just being with him, knowing his presence and enjoying that for the gift that it is. And that is, I think, where we, I'm not even going to say, I think that's where I've known the joy of the Lord is when his presence is swallowing me up and it's just where the goodness of life is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As we enter into the book of Philippians, we read Paul's prayer to the Philippian believers. He prays that their love would grow more and more in knowledge and depth of of insight so that they would perceive it with their mind, but they would experience it in their lives. And that is just what y'all have described today. So thank you both for joining us today. It was good to have you. And listeners, we hope you'll tune in again next week. You can let us keep you company while you sit by the fire. Juliana and Debbie Hawkins will be joining us to talk about Philippians 1, 1 through 11. We hope you'll listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian while she sees. It is the Lord who rises with healing in His wings. When comforts are declining, He grants the soul again. A season of pure shining To cheer it after the rain 